Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to continue our study of who Jesus is. I'm not going to spend a lot of time reviewing, because I really want to get through this part this morning. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said to him, Some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, But who do you say that I am? And that's the question that we're examining. Who do we say that he is? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, God gives the answer to the question who he is. The answer is that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus goes on to say, And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against you. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So we're looking right now at this two-part answer that God gives, that Peter declares in verse 16, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. We've looked at what it means to be the Christ. We've also looked at the fact that what he doesn't say here... He doesn't say you are the Savior of the world. He doesn't say you are the Redeemer. He doesn't say you're the healer. And we've looked at that's because those those are all true, but that's not who He is. That's what He does and what He's done. So we're studying the essence of who He is. And out of that, He's done for us what He's done. We saw that He's the Christ. That's the Anointed One. We're not going to go back over that. We're looking now at the second part of that and what that means to us that He is the Son of the living God. And we looked in John 3.16, very familiar verse that says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There's three things we're going to look at in the study of what does it mean to us that God gave His Son. The first is, is it is a sign of how much God loves you. For God so loved the world. And that's what we're continuing to look at today. The second thing it means is the fact that God gave us His Son, how we ought to respond to Him. God didn't hire somebody to send down here. He didn't send an angel. He sent His own Son to be His representative here. And how we respond to the Son is a direct indication of what we think of the Father. And we'll look at that later on. And the third thing we're going to look at down the road in our study of this What does it mean that God sent His Son? Because the Bible says in John 1.14 that the Word of God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And that means if the way God is designed for us to know who He is and what He's like is by looking at the Son. So those are the three things that we're going to look at. We're still looking at this first one. We could spend a whole year on this one and never exhaust it because there's no way you can exhaust the revelation of how much God loves you. The Bible talks about the unsearchable riches, the unfathomable riches of Christ. That means there's no end to them. And those riches are His love towards you. So we're studying something we're never going to get to the bottom of. We're digging into something we're never going to get to the bottom of. But in the process, we're going to grow and we're going to change. So we began to look at, in fact, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We began to look at, or we continue to look at last week, how much God loves us. 
The fact that he gave his son's life in my place and he gave his son's life in your place tells me, and the Bible teaches it tells us, how much God loves us. We saw in John 3.16, the key word there is so. For God so loved the world. And then last week we looked at, and we've looked at some other scriptures, we looked at John 2, excuse me, Ephesians 2, verse 4. Well, let's just read down through there. Ephesians 2, 1 through 4. And, he, and you, he made a, you who he made alive who were dead in your trespasses and sins. So we were dead, spiritually dead. We were separated from God and there was no hope of making a connection with him. See, when God created man in the beginning, he created him in the garden. We see this in Genesis 1 and 2. And God was present with them. The reason God created that man and that woman was so that he could have fellowship with them, so that he could have a living, vital relationship with them, so that he could walk with them in the cool of the garden and talk with them face to face. That's God's heart and that's God's desire. But when they disobeyed him, sin entered in and sin separates us from God and that separation, the Bible teaches, is death, spiritual death. It's separation from God. So although you physically were alive, your body was alive, you were spiritually dead, spiritually separated from God. And it says a little later in Ephesians chapter 2, and without God and without hope in this world, there was nothing you could do to bring yourself alive, just like there's nothing a corpse in the Morgan Providence today can do anything to bring itself alive. There's nothing something dead can do. As long as you're alive, you could possibly take a pill, you could go see a doctor. There's something you might be able to do. But once you're dead, it's over. There's nothing especially the dead person can do. And you were dead, and I was dead in our sins and transgressions. But he goes on to say, in verse two, 4 then, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive, not just alive, but together with Christ. By grace you were saved and he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Last week we looked at verse 4 because the key to this, to understanding and having this make me, because what we're looking at is what does it mean to me? Because the question is, who is he to you? Who is he to you? And the purpose of our study is to deepen your knowledge and your understanding, not in your head, but in your heart, of who he is to you. I shared with you last week that a week ago or so, we celebrated our 44th anniversary. So 45 years ago, I fell in love with Anita. But I really didn't know her. I was just attracted to her, her personality, her looks. But after 44 years of marriage, I know her much better than I did 44 years ago. And as a result, I love her more deeply because the more I know of her, the more I love her. And that's what God wants. He wants to give you a revelation of a deeper revelation of his love for you because in the response to that revelation, then what you will do is you will love him more and it will deepen your relationship with him. And that's all God's about. That's all that really matters to him. In Revelation, the book of Revelation, Jesus says to one of the churches, you know, you've done well, you've done great, you've kept your doctrine pure, you've kept out people that were tried to bring in deception, but there's only one thing I have against you. 
you left your first love. You've done all these wonderful things, but hey, you forgot about me. I'm what it's all about. It's our relationship with him that it's all about. And so this verse tells us not just what God did for us in sending his son to the earth, but the more important thing is why he did it. I quoted to you the amplified version of it says that because of and in order to satisfy the great and intense love with which he loved you, he gave his son's life. God has a heart's desire, a craving, a yearning for you. We looked in James chapter 4 and saw that that's why when we put something else in our heart that becomes more important to us than him, his spirit in us is jealous. Why? Because of how much he desires you. God, the creator of the universe that can have anything he wants, wants you. Not what you do, he wants you. Not what you can do for him, He wants you. Because what we're going to learn is you really can't do anything for Him meaningfully until you have Him. Otherwise, you're performing things for Him. And you see Him as a taskmaster. The taskmasters in the Bible were in Egypt. And the children of Israel, the Bible says, were in bondage to them. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16 says, but to us, He's not given us a spirit of bondage leading again to fear, but a spirit of adoption. That means as a child by which we cry out, Abba, Father. He's not your taskmaster. He is your Father who loves you. And as that revelation grows in you, the natural response is a desire to serve Him out of love not obey him out of obedience, out of fear, excuse me, not out of fear, but out of love. That's what he wants. That's what Jesus exhibited for us. He was perfectly obedient, but not because he saw God as this ruling tyrant who he was afraid to come in before, but he saw God as a father who he loved, and all he wanted to do was to see his father's will done because of how much he loved his father. That's spiritually maturing, changing our motives for why we do what we do. God's just after your heart. When he has your heart, he has all of you. If he has everything else but he doesn't have your heart, he doesn't have you. Praise the Lord. Okay. So that's kind of what, that's not kind of, that's what we looked at last week. Now what we're going to begin to talk about is receiving that love. But in order to do that, we've got to step back a little bit and we have to understand why this revelation is so important for everything else. So turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. And I'm going to show you scriptures for what I was just talking about. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God. That word literally means in Greek, comes out of God. And everyone who loves, notice there are two things here, is born of God and knows God. Verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God. Now notice verse 7 says, For everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
He who does not love does not know God. That means it's possible to be born of him and not know him. I mean, come on. There are many kids who don't know who their father is. But he's their father and they're born. What he's saying here is the reason we don't love one another more is we, we're born of him, but we really don't know him. And the rest of 1 John bears that out. In this is love. In this the love of God was manifested or made known towards us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, then we ought to also love one another. Verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. And that's the question today. Have you known and believed the love that God has for you? For God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected, that means matured, completed among us, in that we may, so that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. That's one of the indications of whether you've experienced this love or not. If you're, I'm not saying fear doesn't come and knock at the door, but if you live your life in fear, And the Bible's teaching you, you do not yet have a real revelation of his love for you. You may know it in your head. You may be able to pass a test. But the test, the real test, is how you handle fear. Because fear involves, but there's no fear in love, but perfected or matured love casts out fear because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made complete or perfect in love. We love him, some translations leave the him out. We love him because he first loved us. So our love for him and really our love for other people is a response to his love for us. But if you haven't seen that love and don't know that love, it's hard to respond. Again, we're not talking about what you know in your head. It's what you know in your heart and what you experience, what's real and alive to you. So having said that, now let's go to Ephesians chapter 3. And as you're turning there, we're going to look at the first verse. starts with these words. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles... And then he goes on kind of a parenthetical discussion. He goes on a side trip, rabbit trail. Because in verse 14, he picks up with the same words again. For this reason, I bow my knees. So between verse 3 and verse 14, he's talked about some other issues that were inspired with him. So he's saying, he's, he's going he's to, basically what he's going to say is, for this reason, I pray this for you. Now, before we get into that, let's look for a moment at what that reason is. 
And that's back in chapter 2, what we just read. You were dead in your sins and transgressions. God, because of how much He loved you, brought you alive. He didn't just bring you alive. He brought you alive and He joined you to Christ and seated you with Him, in Him, it says, in heavenly places. I shared with the second service last week. I didn't share with the third. But I used to have this image that, that, that to be seated with Him in heavenly places meant Jesus was seated over here at the seat next to the throne of God. And next to Him was Peter and John and then James and, you know, Paul and, you know, Silas and all the way down through the book of Acts, you know. And then somewhere way over there was this John until I read it carefully it says seated in him so your seat and my seat positionally in heaven this morning is in Christ right next to the throne of God You're not some second-class citizen in heaven. You are literally a child of God. And as we looked earlier, Paul says the reason God did this is because of how much he loved you. And now Paul says it's for this reason that I offer this prayer for you. So Paul's told them why God did all this. And now he said, because of this, I'm going to pray this prayer for you. I want you to have that background. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this is the prayer. I have prayed this for me and for my wife and my family for years, almost every day. And I'm watching this come true in my life. Here's the prayer. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might. That word is dunamis, which means the the ability of God. That you would be strengthened with God's ability through His Spirit in the inner man. So the prayer, this has got to be something powerful because the first part of this prayer is God would strengthen you so you could handle it. Strengthen you with His might, His ability by the Holy Spirit who lives in you through faith. That Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the goal. Paul's prayer is that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Say, well, I have Christ in me. He's not saying have Him in me. Dwell. Dwell. That means it's His place of residence. It's like the word in John 1.14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. God became flesh in Christ and lived among them so they could touch Him and hear Him and see Him 
and he could speak and he could act. Paul's prayer is that that same word, that same Christ, would now not just dwell among us, but would dwell in you. That you would literally become the temple of a living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I think it's verse 19. Don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Your body is a temple, a dwelling place, a holy place in which God lives. But the question is, how is he living in you? And how is he living in me? Is he living in such a dimension that he's coming out of us? and others can experiencing him, experience him? Or is he living somewhere down in a back room in the cellar, locked up? Because we don't know he's there or we're afraid of what he's going to do if we release him. And so Paul's prayer, first of all, because you were going to pray this prayer, you better be prepared for what it's going to do, is that God would strengthen you by his spirit in your inner man. Why? So that Christ might dwell in you by faith. So, now look at the, ne- the next verse is what we're going to talk about. Be- but before he can do that, he's got to do something else. That's the goal, is that Christ dwell in you by faith. But before that can happen, he says something else. And this is what our focus is for today. Verse, eight, uh, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may come to comprehend or understand with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, and to know, that word means to know by experience, the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of His fullness. And notice this, what Paul's saying. You can't be filled with all of His fullness until you're first of all rooted and grounded in love. We're talking about His love for you. So many of us are trying to be filled with all of Him and have Him fill us up and be, be an example of the world and be His witness. And we're, what are we witnessing? You're a witness of what you are. It's not just what you say, it's who you are. Jesus told his disciples to wait in Jerusalem because they were to be, be his witnesses, not go out and witness. There's nothing wrong with going out, but what are you taking out with you? Just cards? Just tracks? That's fine. But are you taking him out there to them, alive in you? It's very hard to give away something you haven't, don't have yourself. It's very hard, and that's one reason I believe more of us are not passionate about winning the lost is because most of us are not one. I don't mean we're not saved and going to heaven. We've not been won over. When I fell in love with her, you better not ask me anything about her. Because I'll tell you. And then you'll have to ask me to be quiet. Because all I wanted to do is talk about her. Because that's all I thought about. Because that's all was in my heart. 
The Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever you're talking about the most is what's in the, most, in the abundance in your heart. So Paul's prayer here, and this is what I want to see this morning. We need to go back and look at the foundation of our lives. I've talked to you before about foundations. Foundations determine the size and the quality and the nature of what building can be safely built. I don't want to go back through it, but I've told you the story about the building that went four stories deep because it was going to go 60 stories up, and after story 11, it was going to be hanging out over another building, which is why they went four stories deep. How large is your life for him? How large, how powerful, how dynamic is your walk with him? Maybe we need to go back and look at what we're rooted in and what we're grounded upon. And Paul is saying, before, I, before you can be filled with him, you have to be rooted and grounded in love. And then the next thing, after you're rooted and grounded in it, it's what grows out of that, so that you may come to know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that passes understanding. As I've been praying about this, God's been dealing with me and saying, well, son, you understand, you know, you've got some revelation of love, but it's one of many subjects that are important to you. And we want to balance the love of God against the judgment of God and the righteousness of God and the holiness of God. And he's saying, no, no. Before you can accurately look at anything else of mine, you have to be rooted and grounded in love. I asked the Lord to show me that. I said, show me what it is that I need to focus on. And he brought me to the scripture and to others that confirm it. Rooted and grounded in love. What's that mean? To be rooted and grounded in something. Well, when you plant something, and I'm... My mother was a horticulturist. Anita's father was a horticulturist. We didn't inherit that. <laughs> they had a green thumb. We have black thumbs. <laughs> we can kill anything. <clears throat> but that's not our heart. That's not our intention. And we actually do have some things growing outside right now, <clears throat> besides grass. <laughs> Intentional growing. But my mother could grow anything. And her father could... She knew when to repot things, how to repot things, where to trim, where not to trim. Her father did that. I look at it and go... Mm. I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. First house we owned, my mother came to visit us. We had a nice hedge about this high. You know, I, I thought it was looked good to me. I went to work one day and came home and was gone. She, I knew my mother had been there. She took the hedge clippers and didn't trim it, cut it off to this height. I went in the door. I didn't have to ask who did it. I know who did it. What did you do? She says, that hedge was limited in how it was going to grow. I said, but there's no limit. She said, you watch a year from now. And she was right. Within a year, it had all grown back. It was much fuller. It was much healthier. She knew what to do with that. She taught me something. That when a tree starts to grow or any plant starts to grow, 
the very first thing it will do with most of them, now some don't do this, is it will take one root and it will go down deep into the soil. It's called the taproot. And it has two purposes. The first is to go down deep enough to find the water and the nutrition. And the second thing is to anchor that tree. It becomes an anchor to it. If you've been around here in the... Uh, in storms that we've had, you'll see pine trees grow over, blow over easily because they don't get deeply rooted in the soil and very often they're in sandy soil. But an oak tree gets deeply rooted. That root goes down deep. Before it goes up, the root goes down because the root is going to establish the health and the strength of that tree and determine what that tree can produce. We have a, a gardenia plant that we bought this spring. And it's been frustrating because it had 10 blossoms ready to come out. Today it has two blossoms still ready to come out. I don't know what happened to the other eight, but none of them ever came out. So we decided to repot it. So I repotted it. But I don't think I picked a big enough pot because now I see the roots are beginning to grow above the soil. They're trying to find somewhere to get what that plant needs. And that's where some of us are. We desperately need to know we're accepted and loved in order to be... Every human being needs several basic things in order to be healthy. And the most basic thing is to know that I have value and to know that I'm loved and I'm important to someone and that I have a purpose. Without those three ingredients, and there's some others, we're not healthy. And so if we're not getting those from the right source, we're going to try to get them from some other source. Oh, this is good. That gardenia plant was for a purpose. Now I know it. (laughs) The instinct of that plant is for the roots to go down deep in the soil. But because it's in a pot that's not big enough and they can't go down, they're going to try to find that nutrition somewhere else. So they're beginning to grow above sideways trying to find it somewhere else. There are many of us that because we're not getting a satisfying dose of that love and acceptance and importance from the right source. We're trying to draw it from sources around us. And the problem is the sources around us don't have it to provide at the level we need it to be healthy. So Paul is saying, here's my prayer for you. That you be strengthened by the Spirit and the inner man that Christ made. And how's the Spirit going to strengthen you? By drawing you down deep into a revelation of God's love for you. First of all, before you can be healthy and produce fruit for Him, healthy fruit, 
Our grandkids were over the day and came in. They said, Papa, I found an apple. I said, oh, that's interesting. Pull it up. It was diseased on the other side. I said, I think I know where we're going to put that one. So our crab apple tree produced an apple. I don't know where this one came from. Actually, it was the backyard. Some tree produced an apple, but it wasn't healthy. That's a sign that the tree's not healthy because it's not producing healthy fruit. Jesus said in John 15, he says, Abide in me, and I will abide in you. My father's the husbandman. He's the dresser. He's the gardener. He said, you are the branch and I am the vine. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, we can do things, but they're not for him. A branch cannot produce fruit unless it's vitally connected to the vine because the life of the vine flows through through the vine out into the branch. And that life produces the fruit. So God's taking us to go and look at where we're rooted. Where do you draw your security from? What do you draw your value from? What do you draw your life from? What do you draw your your sense of acceptance and importance from? Where are you drawing that from? We need to ask ourselves that question. Rooted and grounded in love so that you might know together with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of God, Christ, that passes understanding. He wants you to know it. He wants you to know the extent of it even though it's there's no limit to it. Notice it's a love that, it's a knowledge that passes understand. What's that about? How can you have knowledge that goes beyond? Well, it's because it's not a head knowledge. It's a spirit knowledge. It's a revelation, as we talked about before. Jesus said, Peter, you didn't figure that out. My Father revealed that to you. We've looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and on. It says, The eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. But the Spirit reveals these things to us. Yes, He searches even down to the depths of the heart of God. We talked about that several Sundays ago. The Spirit of God, every time you come here, every time you open your Bible, every time you get on your knees or you stand up to pray, the Spirit of the living God is searching into the depths of the heart of God to bring up something to reveal to you about how much He loves you. He wants to reveal it to you. This is his prayer. This is his idea. Because to the extent that you understand, not your head, but you understand in your heart, his love for you, it changes your relationship with him. You don't come to him with your head down, coming in condemned, even though you may have failed, but you come conscious of his love the more this becomes real to you, the more you live your everyday life conscious of His love for you. It's a little book. I don't even know if we have it in the bookstore. But if not, we'll have it. We've had it before. It's called um, Practicing the Presence of God, of the Lord. 
by a, a brother Lawrence, written in like 1614. Humble monk. His job was to in the, clean up the kitchen in the monastery. And he had an experience with God that's written about in this book. Now, there's some things that he gets into later on about suffering because he, he didn't have the Bible as a basis for his understanding. But he had a knowledge of God, of the presence of God in his life. He said, every little thing I did, God was real to me. I'm cleaning a dish. God was there with me cleaning the dish. It was real to me. He literally walked with an awareness of the love of God in his life. Doing simple things. And we find it hard to give God 10 minutes. Because we have all these things we have to get done. And those things we're doing in our own strength. And we're doing in our own wisdom. And we're doing in our own might. And only you can judge what kind of job you're doing with your strength and your might and your knowledge. And all the while living inside of us is the spirit of the living God who wants to burst in our hearts this revelation of of the love that surrounds you. It's not just in you. You're literally engulfed with his love. It's just we can't see it because we take certain things for granted. See, Brother Lawrence didn't take him for granted. He was thankful for almost everything that God... That's kind of where he got off track because he got thankful for things God didn't do in his life. But he's thankful for the little things. He's aware of God. Talk to God about every... Because he was aware of being surrounded by his love. Rooted and grounded in love. We need to ask ourselves the question this morning... What are we rooted in? Are we rooted at all? Turn with me to Matthew 13. We're not going to read this portion of the Scriptures, but Jesus says in the middle of this discussion that if you can understand this, you can receive from God, and if you can't grasp this, then you're not going to understand anything else He said. Matthew 13, we'll start in verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some, Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they did not immediately spring up because there was no depth of the earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because there was no root, 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 they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them, and others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirty. He was ears to hear, let him hear. Now, we're going to go over now to verse 18, because he talks about something in between, but I I don't want to get into that right now. Verse 18, he's now going to explain it. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart and, and um, sown in the... I lost my place here. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, verse 19, and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes, that's Satan, and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is he who receives the seed 
by the wayside. He who receives the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Praise God, what a great service we had. Couldn't you feel the presence of God where I opened my Bible and the Spirit of God spoke? How, that's just what I needed. Oh, that was so wonderful. And go into the day just charged up. And about half an hour later, I can't remember what it was that I read. And we go right back to where we were. Oh, well, well, this is happening to me. I'm never going to get out of this. Oh, God. Then we used to start letting our mouth run and our flesh run. Receives it with joy. Look at verse 21. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. Why? Because he can endure on his own strength. He can endure on the memory of the joy of that momentary experience of God's love. He can live on that memory, but the memory, memories fade. And when it's gone, there's no experience of it anymore because he wasn't rooted in the reality of God's love. He was living on an experience. We'll talk more about that next week. Yet he has no root in himself, endures for only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now the next category is verse 22. He who receives the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word. Now this gets sown in his heart. There's a, there is a root in there. But notice what else gets in there. And the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But he who receives the seed on good ground is he who hears the word, understands it, and indeed bears fruit, producing some 100, some 60, and some 30. Let's talk briefly about these different examples. Because notice it's the same word. And different results... And the only other variable is the heart they were sown into. Jesus is saying here that the first seed, it never even was sown because it wasn't heard. Satan came and stole it before it ever got in their hearts. The second one, they hear it. We just talked about that. But because they're not rooted in God's love for them, when the pressure comes, it all goes away. The next one, there's a root to some degree in God, but we've let other things get planted in there also that are competing with that root. And so although there is some fruit in our life, it gets choked off by the cares of this life. That's what Matthew chapter 6 is about. When Jesus says, don't you know that your Father knows what you need before you ask? And he goes on and talks in verse 19 about the eye. He says, in one case, the eye is evil. Therefore, the light that goes in through that evil eye is darkness. And we've talked before, how can light be darkness? Because it's distorted. The evil eye that he's talking about is a diseased eye. It's like cataracts. So light gets in, but it's not accurate. It's not precise. In other words, when we look at God and we look at what God's doing with us and we look at God's Word, there's something getting in, but it's not accurate. 
And then he goes on and say, that's what the eye is to the body. The eye determines the accuracy of the light that comes into your brain. Then he goes and talks about the heart because the heart is to your soul and your spirit what your eye is to your body. The heart determines what gets into you, how accurate that is. If you read your Bible without a revelation that God loves you, especially the Old Testament, it'll scare you out of your wits. When I went to Bible school, I wouldn't open the Old Testament. I didn't want to know the God of the Old Testament. Because everywhere I read, he was killing people, telling people, sending diseases among people. It's like, I don't want to know that. But I had a problem. It was in the Bible. But in Bible school, they led me through it and taught me how to read it. And God got this basic understanding. Once you understand that God is love, that means everything he does and everything he says is motivated by love. Therefore, I've got to look at what he did through the eye of that love and then I'll get an understanding of why he did it. Until we have this revelation or until we get a deeper revelation, it affects how we look at our life. And Jesus is saying, don't you understand how much he loves you? Don't you understand? Just just look around you and you can see it. Look at the lilies of the field. They're gorgeous. They're here today. Gone tomorrow. And we're worried about whether whether God can clothe us. Look at the birds of the air. They don't wring their wings at night. What are we going to eat tomorrow? They get up in the morning singing. Why? They've got confidence that God's going to provide for them. And then he says the answer. Don't you think your heavenly father cares more about you than the birds? Jesus is saying, you don't have a real revelation of how much God loves you or you would never worry. Hebrews 13, I think it's around verse 4 or 5, says, says, he says, you know, don't get hung up on money. Doesn't God's word says, I will never, in the Greek it says three, I will never, no, never, no, never forsake you and leave you cast down. I'll never do that. David said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed out begging for bread. So when we're afraid, then we've got the cares of this life also sown in our heart. And they're competing for the love of God. Because in Matthew 6, I think it's 19, he says you can't serve God and things. What he's saying is you can't give your heart in trust to God and also give your heart in trust to the things that you need. But he doesn't leave us hanging because he goes on and says, therefore, therefore, take no thought for tomorrow of what you're going to eat or drink. 
Don't worry about that stuff. The Gentiles worry about that. The people that don't have a relationship with God, they need to worry about it because they don't have a relationship with God. They better worry about it because he's not committed to provide it for them, but you're his child. He's committed to provide it to you. Why? Because of, in order to satisfy the great and intense love with which he loves you. Romans 8.32, if he spared not his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give you everything else he has? Why would he hold anything else back from you if he didn't hold his own son back from you? But we need to be rooted in that, not just celebrated on Sunday morning. Rooted in it. Rooted in it so that no matter what comes into your life, no matter what trial or tribulation, no matter what may happen, it can't uproot you. Because you're rooted in the love of God. And we'll pick up there next week. Let's pray. Father, all we can do is come to you by faith this morning and continue to ask you to open the eyes of our understanding that we would see the hope of your calling for our life that's in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that you're calling us to be deeply rooted in your love for us. I pray, Father, for each of us this day, this week, and that lies ahead of us, through the issues of our life, that you would reveal to us this word as a reality in our lives. In Jesus' name.